I might tear up a little bit here, especially with that little inauguration from from Joe. And Joe's been a friend, a dear friend for a while, and and has a similar spiritual and church background as myself. And so it was a a big blessing to hear that from him. But you know, I almost feel like saying just Amen. You know, we've had a great service. Let's just go. <laughs> Now it's to hear, um, where is Brandon seated right now? Brandon, there he is, right, right over there. Um, Brandon's song was actually a confirmation of a lot of the things that I was going to cover. And even Bob's, um, had, he had to share about spiritual warfare was also just another like, okay, God, I think you're kind of pointing at something here. I think you're orchestrating, you know, a little bit of what we have to say. And I wanted to start off this morning by actually reminding us of what the theme and if I can actually get to sing this, just stand up here. Hold on. Oh, the other one's here. <clears throat> Whoa! I just you can just hold it for me, Paul. Um. So I wanted to. to how many people were here two weeks ago when Bob uh, preached? Um, Naomi was here. Bob. Uh, it was two weeks ago. I think it was like two weeks ago. Uh, Bob was here. What was it? It was last week, but then there was a message two weeks ago as well, or three weeks ago, I guess. Um, you were there. All right, good to hear, Bob. Uh, does anybody remember what Bob preached on three weeks ago? Grace. Uh, what about the kingdom? Was the kingdom last week, or was it was it three weeks ago, Bob? I can't remember which one. The kingdom was last week. Okay, so I apologize. It was last week. So how many people were here last week and distinctly remember Bob preaching? Okay, good. Good. Because, Bob, I just wanted to... Um, before I get started with today's message, I wanted to just remind us about what Bob preached on as the kingdom of God, because what we are going to discuss in the book of Acts is a snapshot of the kingdom of God. It's not necessarily supposed to be all-encompassing. It's not necessarily a, a systematic treatment of the kingdom of God, but it is a snapshot in the kingdom of God from the lives of the apostles in the early church. So um, Bob spoke about how Isaiah... Um, prophesied the releasing of the kingdom of God 700 years before its fulfillment in the gospel. Um, he spoke about how God is at war with the powers of darkness, which kind of goes back to the, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's like spiritual warfare is like an obligatory charismatic topic. Like we have to discuss it every time we get together. Um, but how it, the, the kingdom of God is at war with the powers of darkness um, through all sorts of spiritual war- warfare, through false dreams and revelations, possessions and diseases and afflictions and all sorts of emotional abuse and brokenness. And the the love of God is the factor that releases the kingdom of God and enacts signs and wonders for the proclamation of the gospel. So Bob really uh, touched on the fact that the love of God is actually the central calling of Lydia House. We we have a, um, a calling to release the Father heart of God, and we continue to pray for the outpouring of that in, in revival. So what I wanted to... Uh, uh, echo uh, from Bob's message um, was the fact that the love of God is transformational. It's the love of God that transforms his people in order that we can turn around and transform the world. And it's the centerpiece of, Bible, of the Bible's message. Uh, it's found in the story of the Exodus. It's found in the uh, Israel's uh, restoration from exile. And it's found at the center of the cross. Um, so with all that being said, let's, I guess, uh, transition to something that's a little bit different uh, because the passage that we're drawing upon from Acts is, uh, is really more of a case study uh, in the kingdom of God and how it reacts, or how our culture reacts to it, rather. 
It's Acts 4, yeah. So bear with me one moment here. So we are continuing to jump around uh, the book of Acts. Levi, you can come up here and open up to Acts 4. We're continuing to jump around a bit in the book of Acts. Um, you know, most I, I make a lot of jokes about church culture. One of them we have in the Charismatic Church is that if we have a series, it's probably every other week. And if we get through it, it'll probably be maybe three chapters. <laughs> Uh, we tend not to stay on topic, but that's good because the Spirit wants to move and He can disrupt our schedule. We don't have, you know, a fixed way of doing things, so we we uh, are very open to what the Holy Spirit might do. Um, so let's just jog our memory bef- real quick before we give Levi the chance to read the book of Acts. Um, it's important to remember that the book of Acts uh, comes after the book of Luke. So Luke wrote the book of Acts, but it actually comes immediately and chronologically right after his gospel. And Luke ends his gospel with the Ascension, which is also what the book of Acts starts off with. And he tells the disciples, obviously, to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. <laughs> Acts chapter 1 begins with a transition from Luke's gospel to the Ascension of Christ. And Acts chapter 2 deals with Pentecost and Peter's Pentecost sermon, how tongues of fire came and brought signs and wonders to the multitudes of Jews in Jerusalem and across the world. And, of course, Joe had the joke about tongues of fire maybe warming up this environment a little bit, and that was, that was pretty good as well. Um, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John heal a lame man at the temple, and Peter proceeds to preach a sermon on the message of repentance, and it's here where our passage begins. So Levi, if you could start off by reading um, Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests and captain of the temple guard and some of the, and some of the Sadducees. The leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were, pre- were teaching people that through, the, through, the, through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard the message believed it. So the number of believers told about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Thanks, Levi. I appreciate it. <clears throat> so what we have here in Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, is actually a cultural, the beginnings of what I would describe as a cultural reaction to the gospel. Um, I'm just... Open up to my place here. So in this case, we have the healing of a lame man and the Sadducean cohort. And just to take a quick little uh, history and biblical lesson here, the uh, high priests, let's see, read really quick here. Lost my place. So the Sadducees and the captain of this temple and the priests were all a part of what we would call the, the, the kind of the temple system. They were The Sadducees were a sect of Judaism uh, that that uh, took uh, <coughs> that had authority over the temple and all the temple proceedings. They took the tithes, they did the sacrifices, and so on. So when I say Sadducean cohort, I just kind of mean the the you know all the the different positions that are involved in the uh, operating of the temple. And they were greatly annoyed at Peter and John's teaching. And so the question that I have for you. Uh, you could just throw it out here. Is why were the Sadducees greatly annoyed by Peter and John's teaching? Does anyone have any guess? Any just random? They didn't, the they didn't believe in the resurrection. All right, we do have a seminary major here. All right. <laughs> Good, glad to hear it. Anyone else? I think that is a prime target, and I'm glad you mentioned it, Nate. Yeah, because they they did. They didn't believe in the resurrection, which is, you're absolutely right. That's one of the reasons. 
and uh, and I kind of had a little sneaky way of describing it. Um, there's a little bit more, and part of it is part of a religious spirit. Part of it is a controlling spirit. But I think that the main reasons why they, uh, they were annoyed, which is kind of a peculiar word to use, the idea of teaching resurrection, because it's just, it's just teaching, right? It's not necessarily – it doesn't say they were doing resurrections. Of course, they would do that as well. But they were teaching it. And so uh, the answer that I gave to that is because it dawned to me that the Sadducees were uh, the first century equivalent of mainline Protestants in some respects. Um, they believed in, this, in the miraculous only to the extent that it meant that their old buildings would stay intact and that their rituals would go on as usual. And that's kind of the, the description of the Sadducees. So not that you necessarily want to impugn all mainline denominations, but that's just a, an excellent description of what we can kind of relate to. And so the response to Peter and John's teaching was pretty logical from this point. Uh, they just decided to throw him in jail, and which is what happened. So I'm going to read quickly from Acts. This is a little bit bigger portion, so I'm going to give Levi some rest, and then I'll have him come up again and read um, a little later. So Acts chapter 4, if you do have Bibles, by the way, feel free to open them up and follow. I can give you a little bit of time. looks like everybody's already in their Bible. So Acts chapter 4, uh, verses 5 through 12. <laughs> so on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Anas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. <clears throat> and when they had s- me, set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, <clears throat> let it be known to you all, or let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And you know, when you have a sentence with that many prepositions, it's serious. <laughs> it's, it's serious business right there. So basically, uh, if I were to summarize this passage up here, what we have is uh, Peter responds to their questioning by noting that the crippled man's testimony was a good thing. I mean, uh, you know, obviously. Um, I mean, how many of us have seen miraculous healings and kind of thought, you know, it wasn't done quite right, you know, or, or maybe there wasn't something right about it, and maybe there, something didn't check in my spirit when that man, you know, didn't, you know, when that man got up and walked from a wheelchair. I mean, there's, there are too many miracles to begin with. Unfortunately, we don't see as quite as many as we'd like to see. There are people who get healed, um, thankfully, today. But uh, we can hardly attribute those type of miracles to bad things. I mean, it's, it's amazing that the Sadducees would see this miracle and would not attribute it to anything good and would actually just kind of ignore it and just say, okay, it's not that important. So it is kind of, it's, it's interesting to see that. Um, we do know that the Sadducees weren't big on the miraculous. They didn't believe in the resurrection. But, uh, but for some reason, they weren't able to even see the obvious when it stands in front of them. So um, the big thing that we need to see here. Uh, in this passage in Acts, uh, five, Acts 4, 5 through 12, is that Peter turns the lame man's testimony around into a sermon on the gospel, the betrayal, crucifixion, and the resurrection of Christ, and I would add to that exaltation, and the continuation of his kingdom on earth through the healing of the sick and the salvation of the lost. And this is actually how the gospels and miracles should relate to each other when it comes to our lives. It's absolutely true. 
absolutely true that the gospel should result in miracles. It should be producing miracles. It should be producing faith. It should be advancing the kingdom of God. But it's absolutely vital also, once we've established that fact, that uh, miracles need to go back and give testimony to the gospel itself because it's the gospel that saves us. It's the gospel. It's only in the name of Jesus that we're saved. And if we're not preaching the gospel in the context of miracles, you really got to wonder what's going on, what's happening. And oftentimes when revivals do go sour, it's because they aren't pointing back to the gospel. So um, could somebody read Isaiah 61.1? It's a familiar passage. Do you want to read it, Naomi? Okay. Sixty-one, one. Yeah, it's 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 real short, and I can give you the microphone too if you want. Okay. Um, I don't. You don't want the microphone? Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Thank you. We appreciate that. Yeah. Good. So what uh, what Isaiah was prophesying uh, is is interesting because this is the passage. Obviously, the Gospels use this passage. The New Testament draws upon this passage uh, and draws upon Isaiah a lot, actually, as a prophet. And this is a passage that Jesus used of himself to note that the good news uh, comes associated with a lot of miracles. It's good news to the poor because the poor have their needs met. It's good news to the brokenhearted because they're bound up. It's good news to the, li- to the captives because they are liberated. And it's good news for those who are in prison, which would be kind of more of a, a captive uh, motif as well. Robin, I have a friend that's wow, that's yeah. bad news. Yeah, that's tough. So the gospel is, is good news across the board. And it is, uh, <clears throat> it is the gospel of salvation and it's the gospel of good news for people who are suffering in this world as well. And then uh, Levi, if you could come up again, wherever you're at. <laughs> Sorry about that. And if you could read uh, Acts 4, verses 13 through 17. Can we uh, just bless Levi? He's, uh, he's a trooper. He didn't come with socks. He came coldest day of the year, and he's I, we've turned him into a scribe without socks. So, yeah. So it's, uh, sorry, it's, it's chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Yeah. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since, there, but since they, could see, they could see the man who had been healed standing there among them, there was nothing they could say. So they, so they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What shall we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak in any, to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back and commanded them never to teach in the name of Jesus. All right. Thanks, Levi. Appreciate it. Okay. So the Sadducees acknowledged that the testimony of the man lame from birth was indeed a notable sign, as we saw in verse 16. 
but they still persisted in their unbelief. So even though they had already uh, were annoyed by the message, they didn't really believe it, they've come together in a council and kind of you know pontificated over it, they still uh, refused to believe it, they refused to accept it. And now it's on this point that I think what we see that's happening with the Sadducees is something that the Apostle Paul mentioned in Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 18, uh, that the, wick, the wicked uh, suppress the truth and unrighteousness. There's a deliberate desire in the heart of a nonbeliever to disbelieve the truth and to actually replace it with a falsehood. And we can see this suppression, again, alive and well in the lives of the religious leaders overseeing the council. But uh, before we congratulate ourselves on being Christians, not like those sinners, the Sadducees, we need to remember that this uh, frame of thinking is very popular in our own day and that we are actually much more susceptible to this type of thinking than we would like to admit. So if you were to take the gist of the Sadducees' message, so the gist of their response to the miracles and to Peter's uh, teaching, and you were to, to insert it, the objections of, say, a contemporary postmodern spokesperson and, and have it you know, read that way, this is probably what it would sound like. <laughs> so here's my little impression of a postmodern spokesperson, and you can beat me up or congratulate me after I'm done. Peter is projecting his own interpretation of his own religion into the public sphere of Jewish life. The Israelite narrative is about enriching Jewish life through the preservation of meaningful, sacred rituals handed down by our patriarchs. The temple is for the social well-being of the people and provides a secure source of employment for many. It's frankly offensive to assert that a crude, miraculous trip or a trick should circumvent the entire Israelite story and disrupt our fragile peace with the Romans in favor of some sort of miracle. Stemming from an allegorical interpretation of Ezekiel's Valley of Dry Bones, which, by the way, happens to be the only passage in the Hebrew Bible actually mentioning resurrection. (laughs) Just read it for yourself. The scroll of Ezekiel says it's about returning from exile, not a literal resurrection from the dead. So I can see that Nate's ready to beat me up (laughs) at this point. (laughs) All right, thanks. <laughs> All right. So what I, the reason why I shared that with you is because I, I think we often, just as Nate had mentioned in his Christmas sermon, we often hear passages in the scriptures so frequently and so often that we actually lose what was so jarring about the original message. The postmoderns of our day recognize that each people group contains a cultural narrative that tells a story about its origin, meaning, and destiny. And so the act, any act in our day and age of asserting an objective truth is an act of imposing one's own cultural linguistic narrative, which just sounds a little bit wordy, but it's, it's definitely what they use. <laughs> it's, it's the act of imposing one's own cultural linguistic uh, narrative on another person's cultural linguistic narrative, theref- thereby claiming some sort of cultural uh, supremacy. So everything, all claims to truth becomes a power play. And if this doesn't sound like contemporary American culture, I don't know what does. Um, So the Sadducees saw the healing of a lame man as as an act of power against everything they stood for. The Sadducees were the ones in charge of temple worship, uh, which stood at the very center of Jewish life and tradition. And they also maintained a Roman Jewish status quo that may have (coughs) overseen some degree of the Roman occupation of Judea. And they probably justified their persecution of Peter and John on the basis that it was protecting their way of life. So this can give us at least some understanding of why the Sadducees 
uh, in spite of everything that was taking place, in spite of the miracles, in spite of the, the anointed preaching that was Peter and John were giving, why they would continue in hard-heartedness to, uh, to reject it. And Levi, there's one more passage I want you to read, so don't, don't sit back down quite yet. <laughs> Very good. So I want you to read uh, verses 18 through 20 of Acts chapter 4. Good, yeah. yeah. I'm glad you marked that up. So they called the apostles back and So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never to speak and teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter, but Peter and John replied, "Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than Him? We cannot stop telling you about everything we have seen and heard." The councilman threatened them further. Yes, that's right. That's right. So I'll just, yeah, you're absolutely right. (laughs) So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak for what we have seen and heard. So I appreciate that, Levi. Thank you. Okay. Very good. So, Two questions about what we just read, the passage that Levi just read, um, is how did Peter and John react to their persecution, and how do we react to persecution when it comes on us? Remember that Peter and John had just been thrown uh, in prison overnight, and they were strictly warned uh, upon uh, hearing uh, not to preach in the name of Jesus. And so how did they react to their persecution? Any thoughts? Right. There's truth to that. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Thanks, Levi. I appreciate it. So Levi says that, you know, it's the speaking of truth that pretty much upset the... Do you have anything, Bob? That <laughs> so we have we have a Paul impression for for, uh, for Bob, um, and then here's a question that we can rhetorically ask: Is how do we respond to persecution? Uh, how do we respond to persecution? All right, go ahead. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And that's actually was going to be my next observation, Nate. So I appreciate you for uh, for bringing that up. So Nate is saying that they're actually not being argumentative. Uh, they, they're they're speaking the truth, but they're not taking it. They're not milking it for all it's worth. They're not going on Fox News and not, nothing against Fox News, but they're not going on a tangent, you know, against the Sadducees. They're simply saying, "Listen, this is what God has shown us, and we can't help but speak the truth. We can't do it." So, um, so my synopsis of this was that Peter and John responded by being faithful, but you'll notice that their response has an element of grace to it, which is what Nate was referring to. They responded primarily by advising the Jewish leaders that they had to remain faithful to the call of God in their lives, and in doing so, they were not recklessly disobedient to the reigning religious authorities. It's very important that when we actually do disagree 
with religious authorities, which often comes up because humans are sinful and it's the nature of the flesh. And leaders make mistakes, too, um, that we actually aren't uh, recklessly disobedient, that we're not just naive, we're not just, you know, uh, gunslinging from our, shooting from our hips, but we're actually being respectful and polite as well as gracious. And I think that's a very important lesson to take away from this passage. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to mention and, and, and go into detail on was that uh, what Nate had said about <coughs> the the straightforward manner, but also the, the gracious manner in which the apostles responded uh, to that um, to their persecution was that it wasn't reducible to some sort of power struggle. It wasn't something that our postmodern contemporaries could accuse us of. They couldn't have accused them of it because they were simply being faithful to what they absolutely believed to be true. And so that's a very important uh, point to make. And I won't make Levi stand up again. I'll <laughs> go ahead and finish the passage. Um, yeah, right, exactly. So the I'll finish it up with Acts uh, chapter 4, verses 21 through 22. And when they had further threatened them, that they being the religious authorities, they let them go, finding no <coughs> way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened, for the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Okay. So there is hope for us, for those of us who are nearing 40 and need some healing. <laughs> Just going to throw that in there as well. Um, but uh, it all goes back to love. And the interesting thing about the end of this passage is that the uh, religious authorities had to do some relenting due to the fact that the multitudes were praising the Lord for the miracle. And this points to the fact that the nature of the gospel that is demonstrated by, by uh, miracles is winsome. It's a winsome display of God's affection. And so even though uh, miracles and the great move of God can result in persecution and it can result in spiritual warfare and false accusations, a la Matthew 5.11, blessed are those when they utter false things against you for my namesake. Even though all of those things do take place in a move of God, there still can be favor released because the gospel is good and the gospel is good news. And it does <coughs> release favor because it is winsome. It is by our love and by our, our compassion for the lost that the gospel can be winsome, even though it's also an act of war against the, the forces of darkness that are controlling the world. So when, when revival does break out in the Twin Cities, and I do continue to pray that revival does break out in the Twin Cities, we can expect expect persecution we can expect resistance and misunderstanding but if if what we're doing is grounded in love and an actual desire to see god's favor for our neighbors it can be winsome so with that i will hand the baton off to joe well the good news is when you share a half hour with someone and they take 27 minutes you don't have to do much uh so but we, we, got, we got a little left here. Um, so now we'll kind of get to the heart of the matter. That was good. Um, would you have the boldness of Peter and John? You know, because it's, it's not just theoretical, hey, we disagree with you. These guys were threatened, all right? So threatened by powerful people who just killed their best friend and their leader. So it's not easy, all right? It's... it's it's easy to sit in this room and be like, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, we'll come against them. We'll stand strong. We'll, we'll just love. We'll overtake them with, with kindness. And yeah, we will do that. 
But man, there's going to be some deception. There's going to be some intimidation. There's going to be some temptation, some perversion coming against us as you're sitting, walking out from that meeting with those guys. And how are you going to respond to that? Uh, Both Peter and John want us to respond well when we are in similar spots. Uh, Here's what Peter said to the people reading his letter. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So Peter says, guys, it's not strange. Jesus says that if the world hates you, they hated me first. You know, we got to remember we're not on a picnic. If the fire comes, it's supposed to come, and it comes to test us. And it comes so that... Uh, we can keep rejoicing in Christ. And we rejoice in him now because the day is coming when our joy in him is just going to explode when his glory is revealed. And it's good to know that if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So we don't need to feel that spirit of glory and of power when we're thinking about, oh man, how can I be strong enough to endure that persecution, that threatening, that testing? We just need to trust that God's going to give that to us when we need it. So that's very encouraging to my heart. Uh, and then John, so that was Peter's thinking. John's, uh, the revelation that Jesus gave him when, believe it or not, he was suffering. He was exiled. You know, Peter was crucified. So these guys paid the price. And here's what uh, John heard Jesus say um, to a church. He said, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you once again may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So Peter and John expected us to be tested and they expected us to win. Not because we're not going to suffer, not because we're not going to get thrown in prison, not because we're not going to get killed, but because we got a whole other reality that we're putting our, our account into. So we can't lose if... We're only thinking of the glory that's to come, right? So whatever test we endure, let's stay bold because we get the crown of life at the end of it, which is well worth it. Um, And now just a quick thing we should always remember as we're hearing gospel calls to action, let's root it in the gospel, right? The righteous are bold as a lion. Don't try and screw up your... uh, your courage and get some boldness in you to earn God's favor, we've got his favor. We're accepted. We're beloved. So, you know, Pastor John Piper would always say, become what you are, you know? So because God says you are righteous, therefore you're going to be as bold as a lion, let's walk into that in his strength, in his power. Let's not try and make it happen ourselves. So, um, Blake, would you want to just finish off reading that fourth chapter of Acts?
Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, O Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your mm-hmm. holy servant Jesus. Get to the end of the chapter. Yes, please. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, my complete fault. That isn't. Yep, thirty-one is perfect. Great. Yep, not the end of the chapter. Awesome. Thank you. Yep. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for. Thanks, Blake, for reading the word with all boldness there. So, real quick, I see uh, six S's. There's six sources of strength and stability for boldness in this passage. Kind of a old, old, old John MacArthur trick there. Get all those S words. Too. So we'll just rattle through these real quick. Number one, number one is uh, support from the saints. So Peter and John get threatened, and you know, good Christian teaching is, hey, take your burdens to God. You know, and people can't really help you anyways, and that's true ultimately. But you know what? People are often the meat and potatoes of God's comfort and presence in our lives. So, absolutely, God is our only source of anything, and often the times the way he works is through God. So, let's be there for each other when difficulty strikes, when the fire gets hot. Let's know that we got 50 people we can turn to, and they're going to be there for us. Uh, Scripture. Bob talked about this earlier. You've got to use it right because the devil's going to use Scripture wrong to discourage you. But these early Christians, they knew their Bible. They knew, oh, wait a minute here. We've got some evil authorities raging against the anointed one. Well, that sounds a lot like what David prophesied in uh, the second Psalm. Why don't we read that? Let's get some encouragement for our situation from an appropriate Scripture, which could happen by the Holy Spirit flopping the Bible open. But it'll probably happen more if you've already flopped the Bible open many times. You've dug through it. You've eaten it up because you know this is how God sustains my life. I need this. I might not need it right now, but when the fire gets hot, I can't learn it then. I got to have it in me ahead of time. Uh, Third one is you got to believe in the sovereignty of God. Man, Herod and Pilate are doing some horrible things. These Sadducees, they're fools, and they're threatening us. God's not threatened. God brought Herod and Pilate at that very time to do the very thing he wanted to see happen. So when the bus crash happens, that's horrible. Does Satan have his hand in it? I bet he does. Is God completely sovereign? Could he have maneuvered that bus? Yes, he could have, you know, Uh 
when Peter and John get thrown in prison later, he'll send an angel and just march them right out of there. God's never at a loss for an ability to deliver us, to help us. We need to trust him that, boy, I don't know what's going to come, though. I could face my next test and trial, and you know what? He could help me any way possible, but I'm not almost always certain what's going to happen. I need to trust in a sovereign God who really cares about me, is really devoted to his mission, that he's going to work things out the way they need to work out. And therefore, we should just sit back, right? No, the fourth S, supplication. They talked about, hey, God, you're sovereign. Very next thing they do, they're crying out. Therefore, do something, all right? If God's as powerful as we know he is, and if he cares as much as we know he does, I think we should ask him to start acting, to, to, to help us, you know? Um, Paul spoke very boldly throughout the book of Acts, but when you get the behind-the-scenes view in Ephesians 6, after the armor of God, which we talked about today, he's asking the Ephesians, pray for me that I can open my mouth and speak boldly. The greatest apostle of all time needed the prayers of the people sitting in church. Otherwise, he couldn't do it. So, you know, God's sovereignty, us knowing the scripture and people around us, it's not going to probably do much unless we're actively engaged in prayer and supplication. And then hopefully signs and wonders, the fifth S, will be an encouragement to us, right? I mean, it's, it's a little easier to be bold if you see God healing the lame beggar and raising the dead and curing that woman of cancer and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so hopefully as God does that, which I think is going to uptick as well, it's just going to increase our boldness to, like Rob was saying, go back to the real deal. Because you know what? Your cancer's gone. Guess what? In 100 years, you're still going to be dead. So what are you doing about the real deal now? Do you love Jesus because he took away your cancer? If not, you wasted your cancer. Yeah, don't waste your cancer. <laughs> and the last S, the Spirit of God, because uh, he's behind it all, right? I mean, he's at work always. The Spirit came in a manifest way, even as Blake was reading that. He shook the room. He, he shows signs of his presence, all right? I could feel him as Blake was reading that in our midst here. Um, and uh, just a little twist on words there's the old phrase a spirit of holy boldness those old revival preachers might say that it's good but we got something better we got the holy spirit of boldness because where he is people are bold just flat out all the time you know uh so if we get filled up with him we're going to be bold whenever we need to be and let's remember uh the second corinthians chapter three god puts his treasure in jars of clay all of us are broken We all have our difficulties. We all have our shortcomings. We all have our mess, our sin. And yet God's saying, you're the ones I want to use. You know, it's it's not the people who are good enough, the people who have overcome enough, the people who have whatever enough. He said, no, I want to use you to spread my message, to let my power seep out of. And uh, later in that chapter, you know, Paul writes, having such a hope of what God's going to do, for us, in us, we are very bold. So hopefully that's six very good encouragements for us to uh, face whatever opposition, threats, persecution, difficulty we might see in the short term or maybe some heavier stuff in the long term. But uh, let's keep that hope ahead of us. Where, Where are we going? What has Jesus already bought for us, guaranteed at the cross? And uh, it'll all be good from there.
Hey, we've had ourselves a morning. Listen to this. We had Blake and Bob and Brandon. See, I, I got three B's wow, here. I like it. So, <laughs> any more B's we can find here? So, and what? P's. BP. Yes. So, let's stand together. Sorry it's a little cool. I hope that, uh, that we figure out how to warm this place up a little more. I see people back there sh- sh- shivering and, and glad. That's what we need. We need some more Brandon singing and some more dancing, and that'll take care of it. Maybe the, maybe the two of you guys sitting together are going to help us with that. Yeah. Well, Jesus taught us to say Father. A, he's a good Father. He's kind. He's, he's loving. And so let's just point to our Father, and then I'll give the benediction to you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, catch it. Here goes an impartation. It's for real. It's an impartation. God's going to bring his peace. He's delivering peace to you now. Here goes. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.